Well, welcome back to the Rooted Podcast. We hope that you were able to listen to part one of Phil Drummond's talk from the weekend that we had at the end of January. If not, you can go back and listen to that now. But this is part two of that talk, and we hope that it will give you some food for thought. Enjoy. For me, if I know that Jesus has set me free, then why would I ever keep that to myself? If I know the truth and the truth has set me free, why would I keep that to myself? If I know I carry a solution to the problems that my community are facing, why would I keep those solutions to myself? It's crazy though, isn't it? That yes, we get to choose to follow him, but he also chooses to use us. Broken, not perfect, misunderstood people, he uses us to advance his kingdom and to join in with the story he is writing over your community and your city. So I say this because I actually think the next move of God is not a move of God inside of the church building. It's a move of God outside the four walls of a church building. It's in our communities, it's in our cities, it's in our workplaces, it's in our schools. <laughs> See, we're not going to become the best church in the city, we're going to become the best church for the city. There's a, there's a big difference in that. We're not here for numbers coming in the church, we're here to go out and to change the culture of our community to bring the love of Jesus to the people that need to hear it the most. You see, in order to do that, though, we need the workers. We need people who understand what it is to be a spirit-filled disciple, that understand actually who they are and what they're called to do and to step out of the comfort walls that we surround ourselves with. But what's happened in the past is this. We've relied on the experts to do this, right? We've relied on it. So what we would always say is this word evangelism, when we talk about evangelism, people will say, oh, Phil, he's an evangelist. We use this word evangelism, but that actually brings an expert model into it. Because what actually happens is people, Paul will say to me, oh, Phil, he's an evangelist, so I'll let him go out on the streets. I'll let him tell people about the love of Jesus. But I'm an intercessory prayer person, so I'll just stay in the building. I'll do nothing about that because he's good at that stuff and I'm not. In some degree, that, that's probably true. Not everyone in this room is going to be a called evangelist. And what I mean by a called evangelist, run, running crusades, Reinhard Bonnke stuff, seeing thousands and thousands of people come to faith. But I personally believe not everyone's a called evangelist, but everyone is called to evangelize. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to evangelize. See, we won't and we can't rely on the few experts anymore. We need the many, the many disciples who understand that we are called to step into his story for the sake of our cities and communities. And this happens in our everyday, everywhere, everyone lives. So in the five, 10 minutes left, or I have left, I want to try and inspire, encourage, and equip us to be able to step out and to share the love of Jesus with the people that need to hear it the most. But not just for us individually, but for us as you step into your communities, how can you lead others in this as well? See, I'm not a preacher, so I'm not going to preach tonight, but I do want to equip and I do want to encourage. So let's jump in. So let's look at a story we find in John 1, verse 43 to 51. And it's a story that a lot of us will know. It's a story of Nathaniel. And it says this, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. 
Philip, like Andrew and Peter, were from the town Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. We'll come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? See, in that moment, Nathaniel has assumed that nothing can good can come out of that place. He's made up in his mind that Jesus, that the Messiah wouldn't come from Nazareth. Nothing good can come out of that place. Therefore, I will not give it the time of day. I'll write it off. I won't listen to it. This comes from, I would say, back to Solomon in 1 Kings 9, it says this, at the end of 20 years during which Solomon built the two buildings, the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, King Solomon gave 20 towns in Galilee to Hiram, king of Tyre, because Hiram had supplied him with all the cedar and juniper and gold he wanted. But when Hiram went from Tyre to see the towns that Solomon had given him, he was not pleased with them. What kind of towns are these you have given me? My brother, he asked. And then he called them the land of Kabul, a name they have to this day. Now, Kapul in the old Hebrew means how little or good for nothing. So what Nathaniel was saying in that moment is how could the Messiah come from such a lowly, little, good for nothing place? And I want to pick up two quick things on this. One, I know there's not going to be anyone guilty of this here, but I'm guilty of this sometimes in my own life. You look at someone and you write them off. You're walking down the street, you're in your workplace and I've done this before, I have assumed that they don't want to hear what I have to say. I assume because they look a certain way, they don't want to hear what I have to say. They don't want to know about Jesus. I have assumed that they're either going to punch me or walk away or tell me to get lost. I've put my assumption on them. Do you know from doing evangelism or actually living the spirit-filled discipleship life for 13 years, it's usually the people that look the furthest away, the hardest to reach the wealthy that want to hear about Jesus the most. And yet I've missed the opportunities because I've assumed that they just don't want to hear. The amount of people that I've walked past that I then think actually I probably should have went and spoke to those people. The second point is this. There's probably people in this community that think the same as Nathaniel about the church or about God, yeah? They're walking, in the, walking up and down the town going, nothing good comes from the church. Nothing good comes from God. They've been disappointed. They've been hurt. They've maybe met an evangelist in the street and instead of loving them, they've been embarrassed, belittled and berated. And they say something along the lines of, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Nothing good comes from that place. We're not here to condemn we're not here to belittle and we're not here to berate. We're here to love. We're here to show people that actually something good can from, come from the church. Something good can come from Jesus. 
that he loves people, that he wants to see people come to know him. You may not agree with me on this, but one thing I have seen from going out and doing this time and time and time again, that apologetics is dying when it comes to sharing my faith out on the streets. There is a place for it, but actually what people want is an experience of a living God. It's an experience of a living God. So what I love about that story is actually it's the words of knowledge that brings Nathaniel into the understanding of the love of the Father, right? It's not the intellectual gospel that he has. It's, I saw you under the fig tree, now let me tell you this. It's the experience that leads to the encounter. I can go and speak to someone on the street until I'm blue in the face and I can debate with them. Or I can be in my workplace and debate with someone until we're both blue in the face and they'll go away thinking they were right and I'll go away thinking I was right, but in the middle of it, nothing's happened and nothing's changed. But when I go up to someone and say, look, it's going to sound really strange, but I'm from the local church and I'm just out today asking, if God could do a miracle in your life, what would you ask him to do for you? And then they ask for that, oh, I need healing in my body. You then pray for healing in their body and they experience Jesus in a very real way. It transforms something in them. It changes something in them. It shows them that Jesus is real. Way more than I could debate with someone. Does that make sense? Awesome. You know, we live in a certain time in this kind of, yeah, weird. We've been three years of lockdown, right? We've come out the back of COVID. Before COVID, there was civil unrest and we have all this stuff that's been going on in the background. And we, we live in a culture of discouragement, of hurt, of brokenness. And yet in the middle of that, people are searching for something more than they've ever searched for before. The things that people used to anchor their identity in have now shifted. And people are looking for something more than they've ever looked for before. Now this makes the ground so much easier for us as we step out in faith. What I've seen is people don't have a middle ground anymore. They either really want something or they really don't want something. And the amount of people that we've talked to and shared the love of Jesus, that then they've just been all in for it, has radically changed since COVID. In your city and in your community at the moment, people are searching for something more than they've searched for before. If you look at statistics, the whole spirituality thing is on a rise. What better time as a church to step out and to show them that Jesus is real and Jesus is alive? So let me give you four things that I always do and always put in my life that I think as a community you can use, but also teach to your communities as well if this is something you go and actually yeah we need to be out we can't just focus and open the doors and expect people to be coming in we need to be sharing this we need to be spirit filled disciples so if you want to write these down these have been very helpful for me but you may be you may not want to write them down that's totally fine I won't be offended well I might but that's fine so first is this availability Do you know the craziest prayer you can ever pray is, God, I make myself available. I'll step out, I'll do what you want me to do. Has anyone ever prayed that prayer before? God, I make myself available. If not, you probably want to start praying that prayer, guys, to be honest with you. <laughs> God, I make myself available. Do you know what usually happens when you pray that prayer? 
he then asks you to do some stuff. <laughs> and usually the stuff that he asks you to do takes you way outside of your comfort zone. In the vineyard, we'll always say this, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled risk. When you make yourself available, God will ask you to sometimes do some risky stuff. As a spirit-filled disciple, I don't actually think we can have comfort walls anymore. Because <laughs> comfort walls will stop us stepping into the, the story that he's writing in our cities and our communities. I remember sitting in my room and I'm praying. I'd seen a few people healed on the streets. and I, I was thinking, God, I want to see this more. I want to see this more. I am all in. I make myself available. I am all in. And I heard him say, I want you to go down to accident and emergency. I want you to go into the hospital and I want you to start praying for people. It's kind of crazy, but where is there going to be sick people in the hospital? Okay, I'm going to start doing that. I told my pastor at the time, that's what I'm going to do. And he said, as long as anyone, if anyone asks, as long as you just say you're from the, the Baptist church and not from the vineyard, you'll be fine. <laughs> but we went into accident and emergency and we took a team with us and uh, we started praying. And it was a risk. It was a risk for a whole lot of different reasons. But I remember we prayed for this one lady who was sitting there and she had a cast on her ankle. And as we prayed, her ankle started to click back into place and she was able to put weight on her ankle and she was able to walk out the hospital pain-free. Now again, just a disclaimer, we'll never say, like, even if someone feels like, physically better, go and get it checked out by a medical professional. So she did, she waited and then she went and checked out and then she was fine, came out and walked past. Now that was great, we, that was amazing. And feeling that kind of buzz and high, I thought, well, a good idea. I'm going to stand on a table in the middle of accident and emergency and I'm going to tell everyone in that room what had just happened. Now, me being an introvert, that was a risky thing to do. It was bold. It was brave. I don't know what I was thinking. I probably wouldn't do it now. But in the moment, it felt like a great idea. So I stood on a table in accident and emergency. I said, look, it's going to sound really strange, but this lady... She had just come in, she had broken her ankle, bones clicked back in place, she walked out completely pain-free. If you need healing, which we knew people did because they were in hospital, then we would love to pray for you, we would love to introduce you to the love that Jesus has for you. In an hour, we prayed for 15 people, and 10 people gave their life to Jesus in that hospital. When you make yourself available, when you say, God, I will do what you ask me to do, and then you step into that, and you take that risk, God will honour that. As you step out, he steps in. This isn't me, this is not us. It's him using us to advance his kingdom. It's heaven invading earth. Second one's this, bold. Be bold. So when you make yourself available, you step into risk. You then have to be bold in it. We step out with boldness, we step out with courage, expecting that God will move. So he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed and then tell this mountain to move, it will move. Be bold in your faith. Truly do think that God doesn't need more informed hearts, but he needs more inflamed hearts. He doesn't need more informed hearts, he needs more inflamed hearts. He needs people that are bold in their faith. As a spirit-filled disciple, we have to be bold in our faith. When God asks for us to do something, we step out in boldness and we do it. People that understand who they are and what they've been called into. 
step out in boldness. As you step out in boldness, you start to see his kingdom advance in your communities and in your cities. You start to see movement. But the thing with movement is that there has to be sacrifice in any form of movement, I think. So you look at, yeah, you're in war to take territory, to take ground, to move into a new place. Sometimes you have to sacrifice. It's the same with the kingdom. Sometimes we have to lay some of our stuff down to pick up what God has given us. And I remember when I first moved to Northern Ireland, I remember clearly God said this, in order to see my kingdom advance, you have to lay down and sacrifice your selfish reputation, your ambition, your pride, your arrogance, all things that I struggled with. Sometimes still do, if I'm honest. But we have to lay some stuff down. What is stopping us stepping out in these moments? Is it a fear of man? What are people going to think of me if I offer to pray for my work colleagues and God doesn't show up in those moments? What about my reputation in that? Well, actually, as a follower of Jesus, we lay our reputation down at the door. We say, Jesus, I'm all in. Or my pride. What if I, what if I do this and, and nothing happens? Then, you know, well, that's not what I thought. That's, that's hard. I can't do that. Lay it down. God doesn't need any more informed hearts. He wants inflamed hearts, people that are willing to risk and sacrifice. I'm going to rush through these now. Sorry, guys. So compassion. Third one is this, compassion. Jesus healed because he had compassion for the people. He told the rich ruler to give his money to the poor. Compassion will lead to encounter. You can't have compassion without love, right? Love and compassion go hand in hand. The quickest way to see community transformation and community restoration is to be a compassionate person. It's to love your community and love them well. See, anytime we go out, whether it's street evangelism, whether it's doing it every day, everywhere, with everyone, the one thing I would say is have compassion at the center of your heart. Don't go out looking for numbers. Don't go out looking to fill a church building. Go out and love people. Because when you love people well, it brings them into an understanding of the love of the Father. When you love people well, it calls out their unique design and unique destiny. Somewhere along the line, I think we've actually forgot how to love people well. We live in a, a culture at this moment of discouragement and hurt and brokenness. And when you step out and you start to share a new story, a story of love, a story of hope, a story of restoration, a story of transformation, people are drawn to it because it's something that they've not heard in a long, long time. When you start to cut across the grain of what culture is telling and you start to share a new sound, people will be drawn to it. That's why communities are changed. That's how you can get transformation. It's the quickest way to love and love well. Fourth one is this, determination over disappointment. Keep going. When it comes to evangelizing, when it comes to street outreach, when it comes to every day, everywhere in your work, when it comes to following Jesus, keep going. There's been days that I've been out on the street all day and I've talked to so many people and I've not prayed for one person because I've been rejected so many times. But yet I'm determined to keep going because I know that God is moving in those moments. Just because I don't see it at that time doesn't mean that he's not moving. Determination will keep you away from disappointment. 
See, if we carry the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and we step out and we pray for someone, then it's inconceivable that nothing would happen in that moment. God doesn't say you'll see every single testimony. He doesn't say it. But when you make yourself available and you step out in boldness and risk, when you have compassion at the center of your heart, it's inconceivable that nothing would happen in those moments. I can't wait to get to heaven and see and hear all the testimonies of people that I didn't even know were affected by the prayers that I prayed for them. I shared this story earlier, but I think it symbolizes this really well, and then I'll finish up because I've probably went way over time and I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I was praying in Sainsbury's car park, and again, I just want to hammer home. I am not perfect at this. I am not an expert at this. I am just a random guy from Perth that moved over to Northern Ireland and wanted to see God move in my community. That's all it is. But I remember being in Sainsbury's car park and I thought to myself, right, I'm going to pray for some people because why not? What have I got to lose in it? And I see this lady coming towards me. She's an older lady. And I thought, great, this is a great way to get praying for someone. She's older and she's limping. I mean, why wouldn't I go and pray for her? So I asked her, I said, can I pray for you? She wasn't a Christian, didn't believe in it, but she was so nice that she said, yeah, that's fine, son, on you go. So I prayed for her. And she looks at me and she goes, do you feel that? I said, no, what, 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 what are you feeling? She said, there's a tornado of wind starting to circle my body. I was like, all right, it's a bit weird, but cool. But she wasn't healed. She didn't come to know Jesus. She walked away with a smile on her face. And I was kind of buzzed though. I mean, a tornado of wind, I'd never seen that, or heard anyone say that or felt that. So I was, I was, I was excited. So I see a guy standing outside B&Q because we have a retail park, Sainsbury's B&Q. And he's on his motorbike or he's standing next to his motorbike. And again, this guy's like six foot five and a big guy. And I'm again, five foot nothing. But I go over to him anyway and I say, look, this is going to sound really strange from the local church. I'm out today just praying for people. Is there anything I can pray for you? And he turned around and I won't actually say what he said because I'll be chased out of here. But he pretty much told me to get lost. He said, I don't believe in any of that stuff. Go away. So I turn around and I start walking away and I just feel this thing in my spirit. You need to turn back around and ask this guy about his wife. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. That's mental. He's going to punch me. And I felt it again. Turn around and ask him about his wife. So I turned around and I said, look, you're probably going to want to punch me. You've told me to get lost, but I just need to ask, how's your wife? And he looked at me and said, how do you know? I said, I don't know. What do you mean? He said, how do you know? I said, well, I'm from the local church and we're just learning to pray for people out and out and about and I believe that God still speaks in this day and age and I just felt like you told me to ask you about your wife and he said my wife was diagnosed with terminal cancer six weeks ago she's got six months to live no one knows said apart from the doctor and ourselves we don't we haven't told our friends and we haven't told our family and at that moment I have nothing to give right all I said was I'm really sorry can I pray for you so he allowed me to pray and as I'm praying he looks at me he goes do you feel that and it's like no says there's a circle, a tornado of wind circling my body. And I was like, yeah, that's really cool. But again, nothing happened in that moment. He walked away, or got on his motorbike, drove away, and I walked away. And to be honest with you, I was disheartened and disappointed because I'd really felt this word that was spot on. I thought, God's going to do something incredible in this moment. Nothing <coughs> happened. Five years later, at this point, I'm a full-time evangelist on the streets, Corinne, and I'm walking through Sainsbury's car park again. And I'm going up to people and I'm asking them this question, if God could do one miracle in your life, what would you ask him to do for you? And I see this guy walking towards me. He looks vaguely familiar. But at this point, I've talked to a lot of people. 
and he doesn't recognize me, but I go over to him, I said, look, it's gonna sound really strange from the local church, I'm asking a quick question. If God could do a miracle in your life, what would you ask him to do for you? And he said, let me stop you there. God's already done a miracle in my life. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he started to share the story. Five years ago, I'm standing outside B&Q on my motorbike. This random guy came up to me and shared the story. And he said, I need to tell you this. It's been five years, my wife is now cancer free. We've both given our life to Jesus and we're both connected into the local church. Five years. See, so good that I actually got to hear that testimony, but I left that day disappointed because I didn't see what I wanted to see in that moment. But yet we follow a God that can do way more than we ever imagine. So be determined because determination will be disappointment. Thank you so much. Well, now you've hopefully listened to part one and part two of this talk from Phil Drummond from the weekend at the end of January. It might be that it's a good opportunity now to speak about this within your communities or with smaller groups in your huddles. We would love to hear what you have taken from this talk and how you're applying this in your everyday lives. During the weekend, we also had the opportunity to ask Phil and Paul a couple of questions. And so we're going to be releasing two further podcasts with some snapshots of that. Enjoy. Enjoy.